Welcome, golf fans. You're listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. This episode is dedicated to the stories about golfers who carve time out of their lives to play golf, only to endure Mother Nature's nurturing and sometimes cruel sense of parenting. In my sometimes dream world, my favorite conditions to play look like this. 75 to 80 degrees, moderately arid, sunny skies with intermittent cloud cover. Clouds that are there to shield you from the sun's rays, but more likely just to make the sunshine more pronounced when it peeks through the clouds. Herds of deer crossing the fairways and birds of prey circling the sky looking for the next feeding. Water views that take your eye off the game just for a moment to appreciate what the golf course architects imagined when they built the golf course. That's my imagination. And with the exception for the arid temperatures, Charleston Golf offers most of these conditions for at least four months out of the year. As a matter of fact, someone in my foursome will always mention how lucky we are to play golf in weather like this. I mean, man, it just feels good. But it seems, more times than not, we're playing in other kinds of conditions, and we have to make the best of it. Because we've made the golf date, We've set our alarms, we've gotten up early, we've driven to the course. We've made it to the first tee box at the time we all agreed to make it. So whatever the temperatures are, unless it's a torrential downpour, we're gonna be there to play. Well, that's some of us, certainly not all of us. We all have the buddy who decides whether he's gonna play golf the day of the match, depending on whether he likes the conditions or not. And more times than not, the foursome will come to the first tee box with two or three players. And inevitably, it will tell me why that fourth player didn't show up. And they'll say things like, well, Sawyer's got to iron his skirt. Or Harley's afraid he's going to melt. Raleigh doesn't want to ruin his manicure. Or my buddy from Jersey will just say this, John's a pussy. Now, I get it. I don't particularly like playing in a downpour. It makes it hard to grip the club. I was playing with my son Matt the other day. It started to spit, and then a water spout just erupted and drenched us. Between the minor spit and the spout of water, Matt, who has a very strong move to the ball, teed it up, swung his driver so fast that the driver flew out of his hands at least 20 yards in front of him. That basically informed me two things. Awesome follow through and it's time to find some trees to hide under until the heavy stuff passes. And while I'm on the subject of the heavy stuff, every time a rainstorm hits hard down here in Charleston, and that's usually how it rains here, I get to hear Bill Murray's quote from Caddyshack. I keep playing. I don't think the heavy stuff's gonna come down for quite a while. Look, I think the treadwear indicators are showing on that line, but I still laugh every time. I think we desperately need another golf storm quote. If you have any, email them to me at rbeaston21 at gmail or send them to my Instagram account, Tales from the First Tee. I'd love to hear another quote. Hey, look, I don't enjoy playing in the rain. It's not my favorite. I mean, silk golf gloves, which I discard after a while and go barehanded like Freddie Couples. Shirts, slack shorts that are just soaked through and through, feeling like we just swam the English Channel. And then socks and shoes that are drenched, that make that squish sound every time you walk. I mean, it's just not fun. 
So why do we continue to play in a storm? Well, I've got a few thoughts. Number one, peer pressure. Who wants to be the first one to throw in the white flag? All the buddies came, they took time out of their day, and everybody's kind of looking at everybody else to see who's going to throw up the white flag first. It's usually not me. But that doesn't stop me from casting a lure into the foursome with a statement like, boy, a Bloody Mary would taste great right now. Or, like, I'm all for flash dance, but this is getting ridiculous. In situations like that, we always have Mother Nature to send us some thunder so we could look at each other and say, yeah, I'm not going to get hit by lightning. Let's get out of here. The other reason not to quit is what I call consideration. Maybe someone in your foursome traveled far or spent a considerable amount of time in front of their windshield just to get here. You feel badly that they traveled so far and carved time out of their day. Now we have to cancel and they have to make that trip back. Last week, my buddy Pat traveled down from Toledo, Ohio, stayed around an hour away and drove an hour up to play with us. When he got to the course, it was starting to bucket and it kept getting worse. So we went in the clubhouse, we had a cup of coffee, and as soon as the rain subsided a little bit, we all pulled out our phones and looked at our weather apps. All three of us had completely different weather apps, two of which said consistent storms throughout the day, but one of them said the storms are behind us and it looks like the rain's going to stop. We happened to use the third app and all got our golf clubs back on the carts and started ahead to the first tee. To make matters a little worse, when it rains that hard at the golf course, it gets soaked and it takes a while for the water to dissipate. So we go to cart path only. And at Charleston National, there is not a good landing area for your tee shots or your approach shots within 20 yards of the cart paths. So if we were going to have a good day, we were going to do a lot of walking. So we go through the first six holes and it is sloshy. It's hard to hit the ball but none of us want to quit, and it hadn't started raining again. So we thought, let's just keep doing this. We get to the seventh hole at Charleston National. It's the most intimidating par three on the course. 195 yards over water with a fountain located in the middle of the pond, just enough to distract you and have you think about something else. Two of us hit our shots. I hit it in the water like I always do on that hole, one of the other buddies hit it far left, and now Pat gets up to the tee box. He had parred the previous two holes, and he was starting to get in a rhythm. He pulls out his forewood, gets up to the tee box, does his waggle, takes it back, and hits this shot that sounded so perfect. The ball comes off his club, rockets up in the air, over the water, hits the beginning of the green, and starts to roll. And I'm thinking, hey, he might have a birdie opportunity here. That's some great shot. The ball keeps rolling. And now we're looking, and it's rolling, and it's starting to curve towards the hole. And then we start yelling, come on, come on. Within seconds, the ball gets feet from the pin, and we just go silent. And then we hear the slight click sound, and the ball disappears. Pat just hit his first hole-in-one in his entire life. He'd been playing golf for 25 years. He's a good golfer, but has never gotten a hole-in-one. And we were there to see it. And he got it because we didn't quit. We didn't walk off the course during the rain. And Pat got to live the rest of his life knowing he got a hole-in-one because he didn't quit. And by the way, it was one of the best shots I've ever seen him hit. 
So later that day, he gets back to his place and he keeps texting us. And I could tell he was celebrating, celebrating. And why not? I mean, the odds are 12,500 to one that you'll get one in your life. And I would think if I'm with other players that have gotten many, that my odds get worse and worse. But I've got a mathematician friend who says, doesn't matter what anybody else does, your odds are always 12,500 to one. So I have a lot more golf to play to try and get my first one. I'd like to hear your stories. Have you or anybody else in your foursome had a miraculous day in the worst of conditions? Playing golf in cold conditions is an entirely different challenge. It's one of those, how flexible can I swing a golf club with layer upon layer to protect me from getting hypothermia? When I lived in Chicago, the demand for weekend golf was intense. It just so happened that I met some guys that had a first tee time at Thunderhawk Golf Club and it was standing for seven years. It was bragging rights to have an early morning tee time in Chicagoland. So it wasn't uncommon that we get to the golf course early, probably 5.45. We had a 6 a.m. tee time. But we might have had to have waited 20 or 30 minutes for a frost delay, which was really common in the springtime. So for me, once we started after the frost delay, the first six to seven holes were never my best. Since I had three shirts, a sweater, thermal underwear, a wool hat, and ski socks, It really made it hard for me to swing the club the way I liked to. I mean, it was miserable for me for the first six or seven holes. But by the time I got to the back nine, it always warmed up, probably into the 60s, and I could start peeling off some layers. We all had to deal with the elements. And it was impressive how some of the born and bred Chicagoans played in cold weather. I mean, they've been playing this way their whole life. It seemed like it was nothing for them. Some of the guys even came with short sleeve shirts. I mean, man, that's incredible. I happened to move to Chicago from Southern California and before that, Tampa, Florida. So I got spoiled by more temperate climate. And it took me 12 years in Chicago to never get used to the upper Midwest cold. I mean, I never got used to it. I remember playing golf in San Antonio, Texas, right after they had this cold spell. And I was there with my boss, who never cancels a golf date, ever. If you make a golf date, you're going to play no matter what the conditions were. When we got out to play in Texas, it was 38 degrees. They just lifted the freeze warning, and the, the ground was still hadn't thawed. And we ended up playing, and it was the worst conditions. I don't think either one of us hit a drive over 150 yards, and sometimes we were putting on greens that had an ice layer on them. But... When you're playing with the guy I work with, you just never quit. And by the way, there were no hole-in-one stories that day. I think we double bogeyed just about every hole, and I could not wait to get to the 19th hole. Playing in the heat is also a whole different way to play golf. Golfing in Charleston in the summertime, for some, could be too hot and debilitating. I happen to swing better in warmer weather. Golfing in the heat can present certain challenges like dehydration and heat stroke, both pretty serious illnesses that could ruin your day. So I try and stay alive by doing three things. Number one is I always wear a hat, and sometimes when it's really hot and sunny, I try and find the biggest brimmed hat I have to keep the sun off my shoulders. Number two is I bring enough liquid so I could drink on every hole, and I try and make it water because the days I bring beer, 
I just get more dehydrated and it doesn't work well in 100 degree heat. And the last thing I learned from my buddy in Texas who had brought up with really hot summer golf, and that is park the cart in the shade. No matter where you're stopping that cart, if it's within 20 or 30 yards of your ball, park it over there. Because over time, it makes a difference. I was playing golf in 100 plus degrees over the summertime with a buddy of mine at Charleston National. Lou's a few years older than me, but this guy is tough as nails. Nothing seems to bother him except general assholes you encounter in life. He's the last guy you'd want to disrespect, specifically on a golf course. We're playing late one morning, and it started off at 95 degrees, but the heat index was well over 100. When we get to the eighth hole, he mentions that he's a little dizzy. I didn't think much of it and said something like, Hey, Lou, just keep drinking water. By the time we got to the ninth green, he was walking like a drunken sailor. He hadn't had anything to drink. He putted out and said, I'm done. The next day, one of our other playing partners told me that Lou made it to the parking lot and couldn't figure out how to drive home, and he lives a quarter mile from the golf course. I mean, he really got dehydrated. It took him three days to find his normal, which alerted me how unaware I was about the effect of weather on different people. For the rest of the summer... Lou started playing at 6 a.m. to beat the heat. I've already told you that I can't do many things at 6 a.m., so I took a pass on playing with him until we get to cooler weather in the fall. But the heat affects everybody differently, and again, my advice, hat, water, shade. You'll live longer. Wind is also another element can change your game entirely. Playing during gusty winds rarely translates to my best scores. Somehow I could better calculate my club selection and my ball flight in crosswinds than I can with straight on 30 mile an hour winds right in my face. I recall playing the seventh hole at Pebble Beach two days in a row. Now the seventh hole is barely a hundred yards with an elevated tee box facing the mouth of the Pacific Ocean. The view is picturesque but it's an intimidating shot. The first day we played it, there were no wins, and I hit this knockdown wedge, which caught the back of the green. So I thought, wow, this is a lot closer than I thought. Day two, a storm front was coming in from the Monterey Peninsula with wind gusts of up to 40 miles an hour. The entire course played differently, particularly when we got to the seventh hole. My caddy insisted that I hit a four iron, 100 yards, And I was like, are you serious? I hit a wedge yesterday and almost hit it over the green. He just said, that was yesterday. Today hit a four iron. I was pigheaded and thought, look, I knew my game better than the caddy. So I picked up an eight iron thinking, look, a little bit of wind, probably going to stop it, maybe push it back, maybe 10, 20 yards. That's the right club. I was the first to hit, so I couldn't get a read from any of my playing partners to see what clubs they used. And I proceeded to flush an 8-iron. And as soon as I hit it, an even stronger gust of wind propelled my ball straight up like a Tomcat taking off from an aircraft carrier. It landed 40 yards from the tee box. That's 60 yards short of the green on a downslope. After that, I took my caddy's advice and barely broke 100 with a long snaking double bogey putt on 18. I mean, there's an old saying in golf. When it's nice and breezy, hit it easy. 
And trust me, I tried everything to keep the ball on target, including chanting that mantra in my pre-shot routine. Look, when that didn't work, I just thought, do your best, and when you get a chance, get to the range on a gusty day and practice, practice, practice. Maybe that'll help. Pandemic golf is another condition that should be noted. Ever since mid-March, when our governor ordered most all businesses closed, our course was awarded an exception to remain open. Other than a few neighborhood watch groups that felt like golf was going to contribute to the virus or just flat-out pissed-off people that had their liberties taken away and wanted to make sure everybody else around them was miserable, most everybody else was ecstatic that they could do something anything to get out of the house, and golf was the only option. This opened up the golf course to an onslaught of people, mostly locals who needed to burn off some steam. For the first few months of the pandemic, it resembled the Oklahoma land rush of 1889. Our tea sheet was filled from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for months. Imagine trying to socially distance yourself from 250 golfers six feet apart for 12 hours. It's a new experience for all of us. The oddest thing for most golfers is the absence of a handshake before and after the round. Our entire lives we've been instructed to look people in the eyes and shake their hands when you meet them. Shake their hands with a purpose. And within a few days, we're warned that handshaking and close contact can spread the virus and possibly kill someone. It's just weird to meet people at the first tee box and not acknowledge them with a handshake. And it's taken five months for some people to buy into the new normal. It's like there's no social contract without a handshake. You haven't consummated your relationship or begun your match without it. And that goes for the 18th green as well. I mean, there's a tradition, and you see it on TV every Sunday, when a foursome putts out on the last hole. There's a tradition of taking off their visors, hats, sunglasses, looking the other partner in the eye, shaking their hand, and offering them kind words like, nice game, pleasure to meet you, let's do this again. These are all in the rear of your mirror now. Now the new normal is when the last person putts out, everybody starts walking off the green with these flying elbows or air high fives, followed by a scurry off the green like rats off a sinking ship. Minutes later, when you get in your car to head back to the clubhouse, you might even be asking your partners, what was the name of that other guy? I mean, for me, when I shake somebody's hand and I look them in the eye and they say their name, it helps me to memorize it. I think I learned this from Dale Carnegie years ago. But in the absence of that, it's so easy for me to forget somebody's name. I actually sometimes have to go over to their golf cart, look at their scorecard, and hope they wrote their name down just so I could remember what their name is. I remember one time I didn't want to do that. So I'm sitting in my cart. There's a player who had introduced himself on the first tee. I had forgot his name. So I sat there while my hand is on my scorecard. And I said, hey, how do I spell your name again? And the guy goes, J-O-E. And I didn't know what to say. And I'm like, oh, so there's an E in it. The pandemic has also shaped the way we play golf. No rakes in the bunkers. No golf flag pulled for putting foam inserts into the golf holes so that people don't stick their fingers all the way down in the holes. And trust me, I've seen a lot of foamies. 
and those are shots that are heading towards the cup, go in the cup, and because of the foam, bounce out. We count those as being in. There's no drinkable water on the course. For three months, we had one person per cart. So people kind of got used to that. It actually made it go quicker, but it actually killed our golf carts. And then a lot of the practice greens are closed to promote social distancing, which just annoyed so many people when they got to the golf course five minutes before they could tee off and they couldn't putt any. But with all those changes, people still came in droves. I would love to hear your stories about playing in all sorts of conditions. Rain, sleet, ice, snow, heat waves, hurricanes, tornadoes. Give me your best shot. And if you've enjoyed this, give me a like. You've been listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina.